Since the beginning of the church, persecution has been part of the Christian experience. In fact, the Bible tells us that all who seek to live a godly life will be persecuted. Today, an estimated 360 million Christians are living under severe religious restriction. On this podcast, we share their stories. And we answer the question, how can American Christians live as Christ in an increasingly hostile culture? The way of the persecuted is the harder way. And this is the Harder Way Podcast. Well, hello everyone. It's 2024 and I'm still Scott. And I'm still Maddie and welcome back to the Harder Way Podcast. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I'm glad that we're uh, back here safely, 2024. It's nice. We can now say that we've podcasted in two calendar years, 2023 and 2024. Uh, And as you know, we're still in our series where we're talking about biblical accounts and the harder way and what we can learn from different people in scripture. And I was going through uh, the book of Genesis yesterday. And now today I'm actually in Exodus and you might be wondering why is that? Um, I'm actually doing something really crazy this month and I am doing a really intense read through the whole Bible in one month plan. I just saw something about it and I'd been praying about it. And I said, what a great way to start off the year instead of trying to spread out some sort of a chronological Bible reading plan for the whole year. Why not just do it all in January and then study the scriptures as the Lord leads throughout the year. But that way you've just got all of it right in the beginning of the year. Well, I read at about one fourth the speed that you read. So uh, I'm doing a thing called um, hang out near somebody that reads the Bible in one month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say you probably read at half the speed of an average person, and I probably read two times the speed of an average person. Yeah, and when I was having to read five to ten books per class in my doctoral studies, it was nightmarish for me. Yeah. Yeah, I learned to skim uh, pretty well, but yeah, that's it was, I am a, that's my, that's my anchor to bear around my neck is slow reading. Slow reading. That's yeah. the thorn in your side. And incredible good looks. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So while I was reading Genesis yesterday, uh, I was thinking about some of the different stories because Genesis is full of some really great stories and some really interesting accounts. And we've actually talked already on the podcast, as you know, about a couple of the main figures, right? We've talked about Cain and Abel. We've talked about Abraham. But I was really struck by the story of Noah. And some ways that he definitely chose the harder way. And then also kind of seeing his journey into, you know, maybe kind of making some mistakes toward the end of his life. And, you know, the fact that all of us kind of take those kind of journeys at times. So, And, you know, the historical account of Noah is also a place where the church is, is really hit a lot apologetically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as far as like trying to attack the church, how could that be possible? And... Uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit, so stay tuned. But there's some interesting scientific stuff that's come up that that adds validity to uh, the story, like the account of Noah, mm-hmm. and uh, some really interesting things that uh, some perspectives that we could share with you that might actually help you go, "Wow, this really is an historic account. It's not just a story." 
Yeah, because I think that the this idea of a global flood, that's something that when people are looking at the Bible, that's one of the first accounts that's really easy for people to try to allegorize, mm-hmm. right? They try to make it into some sort of a metaphor. Well, there wasn't actually a flood over the whole earth, or maybe the this idea of a flood is representative of something like God's wrath, or, you know, it's being told in a sort of... It was regional. Yeah, a regional flood. That's something that I've heard pretty often. But one thing that we have to understand when we're looking at scripture is we know that not every single thing in scripture is literal in the sense that there are some things that are written with an apocalyptic style or written in a poetic style. You know, there are things that are described in the book of Psalms that are not actually things that happened physically, but are a description of physical thing of spiritual things using physical descriptions. But when we're reading something that is a narrative, or when we're reading something that is supposed to be written in a historical style, we can know that that is being written in that way, which means that we should take what's being written as an accurate uh, description of an event as opposed to some sort of an allegory or a metaphor. Yeah, and in fact, if you read a, uh, a narrative, which most of the Bible is narrative, but especially uh, Genesis, um, when you read a narrative, I always try to keep in mind that uh, this this has been worked and reworked with as far as um, it's been really it's been really uh, intentionally um, thought out as to how these things are going to be written because number one this was an uh, auditory culture a verbal culture mm-hmm. so you listen you speak things were passed down through oral tradition oral tradition thank you and and so um, it is, wasn't like the game of telephone no because it would be more like you had a message and, and it was so it was super important that you got it right. The game of telephone is only fun because everybody's like not as interested and some people are a little devious and they'll change a little fact and, you know. Sometimes there's someone in the middle of the game that'll completely change it. Or they or they mishear. Yeah, yeah. Right? But when you're in an, uh, an oral tradition culture, um, they structure things to be memorized. Yes. So they have like little, little like if you look, look little coat hangers all throughout them, little mental mm-hmm. coat hangers, and you hang things on them. And in addition to that, in a narrative style of writing, you'll have, um, uh, you have the assurance that what is written was supposed to be written, and the facts that are withheld are withheld because they are either unimportant or they will lead you away from the main point that the, uh, that the writer is trying to lead you towards. Yes, that's really important because there are definitely places in scripture where we can read accounts and we can read stories and say, okay, well, what about this? Well, where's this? Why don't we know this detail? And it can be frustrating at times because we want to have this really clear, specific, detailed picture of every account in scripture. But it's important for us, like you said, to be able to understand, no, the details that are there are the ones that are the important details and anything that's not in there, it's not in there for a reason. Just like we say everything that's there is there for a reason, anything that's not is not there for exactly. a reason. Exactly. So what do you think about um, about Noah? How did Noah walk the harder way? What's, well, let's start with the story of Noah. What happened with Noah? Well, we see Noah coming on to the scene. Uh, this is 
we have Adam and Eve. They've been kicked out of the garden. They have their kids and kids and kids and kids. And remember, the genealogies can get a little conflated at times because we have to remember that people at this time were living multiple hundreds of years. And so you think about how many lineages can occur and how far out can a family start to expand if somebody is living for multiple hundreds of years. Right, because in that... In that we call it antediluvian or before the flood, the antediluvian period. See, you get big terminology for free. And the antediluvian, <laughs> antediluvian period, um, it's, it's widely uh, believed that there was a basically a vapor canopy of water in the air. Mm -hmm. So what that did was it, it really did cause global warming, but it, didn't, it wasn't quite the way you might expect it to come out. What it did was the earth was about the same temperature from the top to the bottom, from the east to the west. It was all about the same temperature, a pretty moderate climate, mm -hmm. uh, maybe like a Mediterranean climate, and maybe a little more mild than that. And you had all of that water vapor, so it was really filtering out the cosmic radiation. Yeah. And so the DNA wasn't damaged. Life's Oxidiz Oxidization was happening a lot slower. Exactly. And so you wind up with reptiles. Imagine... If reptiles who don't ever stop growing lived for a thousand years or two thousand years, just how big they would be. Might be like something we would call a dinosaur. Could possibly <laughs> be like something we'd call a dinosaur. Exactly. So during this time period, people were living for a really long time. And we don't know exactly how long after Adam and Eve, Noah was born. No, if you go by the exact... If you go by the like the exact listing of ages in the genealogy in Genesis, and you and you just assume that those are all father and son, and you just added those, you just up. added those up, uh, you come up with Adam dying a few decades before the flood. Wow! But still, there was in that, in that nine hundred and some odd years, there was plenty of time to have millions of people on the earth when you start multiplying yes. two, then four, six, eight. Two, oh, four, absolutely. Sorry. So at eight, the, 16, 30, so at the bare minimum, the right. bare minimum, it would have been around a thousand right. years between. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it is definitely possible that it was longer than that because if the genealogies were only listing, say, the important people. Right. Right. Um, and maybe they were kind of skipping in the way they were listing them. It's possible that it could have been a couple thousand years. And, and we see that throughout scripture. We see, for instance, in the, in the genealogy or in this, in the stories of, uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, we'll see Nebuchadnezzar and then Belshazzar, but we won't see Nabopolassar mentioned in there. Right. Right. Um, or we'll see. And then, so in this genealogy, were there other people in Noah's lineage or, or, or that we don't know about? Because they weren't important, or they weren't, mm -hmm. they just weren't mentioned. It's very possible. Uh, so I, I tend personally to look at these things as having been a longer period of time, maybe twice or three times as long yeah. as what they say. Um, but that doesn't mean that that it couldn't be exactly literal. And 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 my view does not really strike at a literal interpretation of the Bible. It just mm -hmm. strikes at. It just says, "Am I taking it literally?" with the genealogies uh, in a way that it wasn't intended to be taken literally. It was meant to be taken literally, but not the way we're taking right. it. Right. So it's that right? question of, is this supposed to be a perfect one-to-one -one genealogy list? 
or is it supposed to be a sort of highlight, highlight reel, reel yeah. of the genealogy, yeah. which was very common in that ancient style of writing. Right. So that's the question. It's not a matter of should we read the Bible literally. Right. So all that being said, there was a significant period of time. And during this period of time up to when Noah was being born and, and he beginning his life here on the earth, there was a lot of corruption and evil in the world. And it was funny because uh, my pastor had said something a couple months ago. He was doing a sermon on this and he basically was like, what would you expect if you think of people having the capability to be somebody like Hitler and then the average person lives, let's say, 80 years, how much evil could be done by a person if they lived multiple hundreds of years? Right. And then you think of all of those people. And then if that one evil person had all of these evil children that they trained and how many children could they have? And you start to think about it and you're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So there was a lot of corruption, a lot of evil. People were not doing what was right in the sight of God. Yeah. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Yes. And they were, and they were, it was just limitless. The, the evil that they were able to do. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, there was like a golden age of, of music and metalwork. I mean, there was a lot of, based on the short description in the Bible, uh, thinking like of Tubal Cain, Mm -hmm. um, not Cain, Abel's brother, but a different uh, person. That there were uh, there were great feats taking place. In fact, some of the things that uh, your ancient alien fans might see, or some of the different people who look at some of the ancient structures of the world and they can't explain them, I think I think, and you might want to consider that maybe some of these were made in that antediluvian pre-flood era. Mm-hmm. Uh, the evidence for a lot of runoff is around, for instance, the pyramids. They are like it could very well have been made before the flood. Yeah, you have no idea right. because the imagine the technologies that could have been created. Right. You know, think of you if you even had one person that was say a Leonardo da Vinci type who lived multiple hundreds of years. Well, not only that, you figure their DNA was near perfect. Mm-hmm. Ours is not. You know, we always have this thought of well, people back earlier didn't know as much as we do. Mm-hmm. They didn't know as much of what we know as what we of what we know. But they knew what they knew. And yeah. they were capable intellectually. You know, things go from order to chaos, not chaos to order. And uh, they were capable of, capable intellectually of tremendous feats. I imagine that um, people on par with Einstein were probably run-of-the-mill, I would assume, in that time period. Uh, they were kind of like more average because their their all their DNA was working great. So imagine what mm-hmm. they could do. Imagine they could... Maybe we figured out a way to move giant stones with sound or they just the leverage of how to how to um, move a giant stone with leverage and very little effort, you know. Yeah. So it's it, it just our, our imagination can run wild. But let's 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 go on to um, Noah, Noah on the harder way. So all of these people were living on, we would say, the easy way. They were all doing things their own way, man's mm-hmm. way. But we're told that Noah walked with God. And Noah was seen as righteous in God's sight. So he read his Bible every day. <laughs> well, he didn't have a Bible. But he wore a cross. Uh, didn't have a cross. Didn't, uh, uh, what we would say is that for him to have been seen as righteous would be saying that he was choosing the God way throughout his life instead of 
man's way. And this was before God had made a covenant with Abram and started this people of Israel and anything like that. And so we didn't have the traditional sacrificial system that became set up later. But in this kind of pre-flood period, you did have people that were giving sacrifices to God. We see that even all the way back with Cain and Abel. And so the understanding when we're reading it would be that people were aware of what they were supposed to be doing and how they were supposed to be uh, interacting with God and what their relationship with him should look like. It seems very clear that people would have had that expectation set. Now, I would superimpose upon that, um, and this is just my uh, surmising, but when people stray from God and their lives become an affront to God, um, they'll typically challenge the image of God. That's uh, true. That's, and that's especially, true. Especially, and I imagine there were demonic and dark forces very active in the, in the world at that time period as well. And I would, I would suspect that that there were issues with what's a man, what's a woman, what's a child, what's a proper marriage. I'll bet all of those things were being attacked just like they are in our modern age. And that, yeah, I think that know, would make a lot of sense. And not actually. Even, I hadn't not, thought about that before. Not even from a political sense, just from a sense of attacking the image of God. Uh, and human beings were probably bought and sold or treated as being worthless or, or mm -hmm. treated as being a, you know, just, just a commodity being bought and sold. And those are all ways that in our modern age we see um, uh, the image of God being attacked. And I'll bet, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we could go back in time, we'd see it then as well. I would say absolutely, because we know that those are things that God hates. And we know that for God to flood the whole earth, there would have had to have been... I don't even think we really can conceive, honestly, because think about everything that goes on in the world now that's so horrible and that has gone on historically that's so horrible. Just terrible tragedies and uh, people just being completely against God. And then think about what point were those people at thousands of years ago before the flood for God to say, okay... We're, we're, we're hitting reset. We're starting this over. I don't think we can even fully conceive when we think about the fact that there have been people on this earth like Hitler, like Stalin, like Mao Zedong, horrible, just terrible people who did horrible, terrible things. And that God, God didn't flood the earth with the evil of those people. I, I rather suspect that he must have known that none of those people were going to change their ways. Well, absolutely, because we know that God is omniscient, and that means not just that he knows what is, but that he knows what can be and what will be. Right. So Noah Noah gets told by God, hey, I want you to build me a boat. Yes, he says, I want you to build me a boat. He gives him very specific requirements. We can read these in Genesis 6. And by the way, this account of Noah, you can read uh, in Genesis chapters 6 through 9. And He's told very specifically, I want you to build this boat. It needs to be this tall. It needs to be this wide. Here's how it's all going to be. He tells him there's going to be a flood. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take these certain amounts of every kind of animal, seven pairs of the clean, clean animal. animals, uh -huh. uh, two of the unclean animals. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and of course, these are animals that are not sea animals. Right. <laughs> oh, the ocean animals and the water animals stayed in the, the water. Right. Okay. <laughs> How am I going to get the whales in there? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're just baby whales and little uh, did, fish tanks. How did God get? How did Noah get all of those animals into the ark? Once he built it, and the people people estimate it took him at least a hundred years to build it, mm -hmm. right? And then so he builds this boat. He's building it in an environment where people think that it had never rained before. They think that it was uh, uh, you because know, of that atmosphere. Because you were of talking that, about. there was just a heavy dew in the morning, and that watered all the plants and kept everything moist, and there was no need really for rain. And so there had never really been like an actual rainfall. And, and then you're saying it's going to rain so much gonna, that the whole earth is going to be flooded and everything's uh -huh. going to get wiped away. So, but but how, so the animals come in. How does how does God manage to save all of the animals? So this is actually a really interesting answer to this question, and it's something that we don't often think about, but is really important, and it's actually very simple. Which is that God didn't say to take one of every single specific type of variation of animal. He said one of every kind. Right. Which would mean, you know, we think now, uh, let's let's take an example like a dog. So first of all, if we think about how many different kinds of dogs there are now, many, many of them have come to come about uh, through breeding or through natural development only in the past hundred or so years, and then even beyond that, uh, really developed over the past thousand years or so as they became domesticated. And then you start to think, okay, well, what about all these different types of, of wild dogs and wolves and coyotes and foxes and African wild dogs and all these things? All of those animals have one canine ancestor or that, two, or two <laughs> that, they're, that they're all descended from. And to give an idea of how fast they can change, you think about pit bulls. You know, it's only a couple generations ago that pit bulls were the, the nanny dog. They were like left to watch over the kids. And now they're ferocious monsters in a lot of people's estimation. Not all of them, but they've been bred that way. Or think about the, the Bernadoodle. Those were even around a few decades ago. All and, of these million types of, you know, poodle mixed dogs are brand new. Yes, and as my mother says, the poodle mixed dogs are either wonderful or insane. No we shouldn't always wind up with the insane ones. So here's the here's the thing about this this idea of two of every kind. It would mean then that there would be one kind of canine, right? Okay. One type of feline. feline. So we're not going to have wolves and coyotes and all of these different things. It's one kind of dog. And you're not going to have lions and tigers and pumas. and, and it's So one kind of bovine. One kind of bovine. One kind of equine. Right? And so uh, they're one of every kind. And so when you actually go back and think about what that would mean, that becomes a lot more reasonable. So what we're using is we're saying we're not accepting evolution as an argument for the existence of humanity. But we are accepting microevolution, which can be demonstrated re very readily, uh, even like with like fruit flies, because they, they their life cycle is so fast. I think it's twenty four hours that you can breed breed fruit flies, and you can show microevolution really easily. Dem you can demonstrate mm -hmm. it. Um, 
um, anyway, um, because macroevolution is evolution that is, uh, either has to do with something coming out of nothing. So like the creation of the world as a whole, which obviously we know that God created the world or that has to do with types of animals or creatures becoming something entirely different. Right. So uh, a fish species eventually evolving into a cat kind of a species, whereas microevolution just has to do with natural changes in a specific type of group that occur over time through what we might call natural selection. But it can also be happening through something like breeding. You know, with humans, it's a good example of microevolution would be the fact that we all have wisdom teeth that have to get taken out. So if you go back in time and you look about 25,000 years ago, approximately, there's a mass extinction event. And there's all kinds of animals that don't exist after that event. Saber-tooth, I believe the saber-tooth wolf or the saber-tooth tiger, you know. So tigers exist. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the North American lion. Um, but the uh, but these other animals, the steppe bison, I'm thinking they're all coming to my head now. Um, You're like, I've watched a lot of uh, yeah, documentaries. Well, the woolly rhinoceros. I mean... A lot of these things are gone and it makes you wonder where they go, where did they go? And so all of that being said, it actually is very reasonable for one of every kind, one pair of every kind, and then seven pairs of the clean animal kinds to be able to fit on this arc because this arc would have been huge if you look at the, the measurements. So Noah is told by God you need to build this ark and it's going to flood and you and your family are going to be on this ark and you're going to be safe. Noah had to choose the harder way because he chose to take a huge, huge step of faith. He chose to believe God when God said that something seemingly impossible was going to happen. He chose to believe God when he said, I'm choosing you. Right. And he chose to believe God when he said, I am going to save you and your family. And I want to partner with you in this. And Noah said, okay, not only do I believe you, not only do I have the faith that what you are saying is true, that I'm truly hearing from you, but I am going to show that faith into my actions. And so I'm actually going to build this boat. And you have to imagine, like you were saying, if there likely wasn't even a concept of rain, and even if there was a concept of rain, the idea that the entire earth was going to be flooded was something that nobody would believe. And so you have to imagine how much ridicule Noah would have experienced. And it's interesting that God told him how big to build the boat and yet, and also said, leave the door open. Mm-hmm. Let anybody can come that wants to come. They didn't. They came to make fun of them. Mm -hmm. They came to mock him. And you're going to get mocked on the harder way. People around you aren't going to understand what you're doing. They're not going to understand the depth of your faith, your idea of providence. They're not going to understand why you are sitting in this boat with the door open mm -hmm. until God closes the door. Because remember, God closed that door yep. on the ark. And until the rain starts falling. And then they're going to, even first, they're going to be like, well, what's this weird stuff coming down until it starts pooling up around them? Uh-huh. So, so um, an interesting uh, thing about the, the water 
a couple interesting little factoids. One is that just in the last decade, a and actually in the last couple of years, a discovery yeah, has been recent. made, it's really recent, that about 400 years, uh, 400 years, 400 uh, miles below the surface of the earth, there is a layer of rock that is extremely porous and that it holds more water in it than all of the oceans of the world combined. Wow. Right. So imagine if that burst forth. So imagine that burst forth because <laughs> it says that the, the waters burst, burst forth, forth from, from the, the earth. Yeah. Right. So that's happening. So I'm imagining in a major earthquake, uh, the waters are bursting forth from the earth. And then the waters above are congealing, forming into, into storm clouds. And they're, and they're dumping all that water out of the sky, you know. Uh, and basically our climate is being completely reset, right? So then it rains for how long? Rains for 40 days and 40 nights. Is that number significant? Yes. And if you have been with us for a little while and you remember episode 40, episode 40 was our trial and testing episode because the number 40 biblically represents trials and testing when jesus went out into the wilderness for 40 days mm -hmm. right and, and the 40 years that the israelites spent Wild in the desert yes. right so i mean it could be a day short but it's still it's a 40 because 40 is like it, when i remember we talked we spoke earlier about this being an oral culture uh that tells stories and passes them on something like that a number like 40 super important number one you're not going to mess that up. If they're like, that was 39 years, 361 days, two hours, 15 minutes, and 17 seconds. <laughs> you are hard not, to straight. that's going to get messed up. But if you say 40 years, you're going to know two things. Number one, it was 40. Number two, there was it was for the purpose of trial and testing. Mm -hmm. Right? So that's that's what we mean when we talk about this these coat hangers. That's a coat hanger. That's, a, that's a, that you can hang something on. Yes. Okay? Um yeah, so 40 days, 40 nights, and they're out there a long time. And then again, they're in this boat. They have There's no concept, there's no frame of reference of being at sea, of no. being in a boat. Everything is different. They go on eating each day, not knowing, do we have enough food? Right? I, we're supposed to protect these animals and keep them alive. Are, are we going to eat all the animals? I mean, what, what is the deal? And I imagine that? that at some point that was probably uh, a strong temptation and you know even though at that time we know that it wasn't until after the flood that god gave people permission to eat animals right that i'm sure that that was something that ran through their minds was yeah i mean if we're here any longer we might just have to start killing some of these animals and trying to eat them because you know right but they they didn't do that no. and they continued to choose the harder way by waiting every step of the way for God. You know, we see a couple different times where they had sent out a bird to find a place to perch and they had waited uh, to, for the dove to bring back an olive branch and all of these things that happened where every single step of the way they were waiting upon God's leading. And eventually uh, we know that they arrived and it's, they were up around Mount Ararat, uh, which is in modern day uh, Armenia. And they were able to come out of the boat and it says all the animals went out first. Right. And then the animals we, we believe just all kind of dispersed, went their own ways. Uh, and Noah and his family entered out and God entered into a covenant with Noah 
and with people as a whole, where he made this promise not to flood the earth again. Right. He said never again would he flood the entire earth. Um, this is also when he gave the, them permission to eat animals. And this is also when he gave the covenant sign of the rainbow. That's right. The rainbow is ours, people. No. <laughs> Well, the yeah, so we see that the rainbow uh, was given as a symbol of God's faithfulness to his people right. and his uh, trustworthiness in the sense that he always keeps his promises. Right. And so we then see afterward, we don't read a lot about Noah, but we do see that despite this incredible journey of faith, just absolutely wild journey of faith, the, the way that he was consistently choosing the harder way for, uh, it seems like probably centuries, if we kind of add it all up, Absolutely. for centuries, choosing the harder way. One of the things that happens early on, after they get off the boat, he becomes a farmer, he plants a vineyard. We see an account about him drinking wine from his vineyard and becoming drunk. And we know that, that drunkenness is not part of the harder way, right? That's not... Uh, Drunk in so, the spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Holy exactly. Spirit. Under the influence of another spirit, mm -hmm. as, as the shirts say. Um, so we see then this really interesting example of something that we can see within, I mean, our own lives, lives of people that we know, people that we've heard of, where even people that are living the harder way and have done incredible things with God and had these amazing moments of choosing the harder way and living lives of faith over fear, they can still, we can still, you out there can still, despite all that, stumble and fall. And we, we, we hit that a lot when we talk about people on the harder way because they tend to have the story where there's victory and then fall We've used even like Paul is, or Peter, Peter as an, is example, an example, right? We did an episode about Everybody's him early on. And from our personal lives, we walk in great victory. We see tremendous triumphs. We stumble. We fall. But the thing is, is that's not the end of your story. Mm -mm. Your story ends when you, you know, you take that uh, the dirt nap, as my dad used to say. And so, you know, nap. at the end of when you're when you're done in this world, then your story continues in heaven. So I guess that's not the end either. But it's it's. Did you get back up? Mm -hmm. And you just—it's getting getting up and getting right with God one more time. And even that is part of the harder way because knowing that when you stumble, that you cannot of your own strength recover from that. No. But that you can confess. And listen, this is important. How do you deal with your sin? Confess it to God. Acknowledge it. Remember that the God who is omnipotent, He's all powerful, omniscient. All-knowing, omnipresent, all-present. He was there. He was right there with you when you did that thing. Or when you thought that thought. Or when you thought that thought. He was right there with you. In his grace, he did not smite you. Right? Yay. And he allowed you to live beyond that moment. So um, don't, you don't have to play around with God or pretend like uh, this didn't happen. Tell him directly, Lord, I did X. He already knows. He wants you to confess it. He wants you to say it. And the scripture tells us if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive, forgive them. And then commit in your heart and sincerity not to do it again. And throw yourself at the mercy of God uh, for his mercies through his Holy Spirit to transform you and to change you. And how do you, how do you partner with God in that? You learn to abide in Christ 
which is a core value of the harder way. Read the Bible, pray, be in fellowship, um, uh, uh, fast, uh, even if it's just maybe one meal, just fast yeah. for the purpose of, and, and remember the purpose of those things is always to get closer to Jesus. It's not the discipline themselves. Yeah. And yeah, and be ye transformed. Yeah, that's what we're all, I mean, I guess we could say working towards, but that should always be our ultimate goal on the harder way is continuing to abide in Christ, continuing to grow in him. And that's really all that we can pray for. That's really all that we can strive for is that continuing relationship with him. And when we do that, it means that even when we do stumble and fall, even when we have those moments of great victory, maybe followed by moments of great failure, that we will be able to get back up again and continue on the harder way. Right. And just crawl to the feet of the master, even if you can't walk. And if you can't crawl, drag yourself. And if you can't drag yourself, that's why you got to be in fellowship. Because sometimes you need some brothers or sisters in Christ to grab you by the back of your neck and drag you when you can't even crawl. Or grab you by your heels and pull you. That's a nicer image. Or, or take your bed up on the roof and lower you down. You, you, that's where the story comes from, right? Everybody needs four friends. You gotta have four friends. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think there's a couple of the things that I wanted to say on uh, Noah, a couple of apologetic things, uh, th things that have been brought to me over the years. One was somebody said, how could Noah and them have been at a higher altitude than the top of Mount Everest or K2, depending on which one they're deciding is the highest mountain this year, and still been able to breathe because you can't breathe up there. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, it's really quite simple. Because of all the water underneath, it was forcing the atmosphere out. So it would have, it so sitting at sea level with, you know, the, the peak of, of Mount Everest poking the bottom of your boat, um, it would have been, it would have been like breathing at like 200 feet at elevation. Oh, yeah, it's, that actually makes a yeah, lot more one sense. Of those, one of those awesome physicists, scientists, Christians figured all that yeah. out, did all the calculations. That's cool. And then there was another one about Noah, um, about the about could they breathe, and I don't remember the other one. We'll have to think of it and share it in another podcast. Well, I think that what you wanted to talk about was the waters bursting forth from the earth. I did mention Which that. we mentioned that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then that's crazy, right, that it's there, it's all there. And, and so we might say these things seem... Uh, incredible or unbelievable implausible. or implausible, but the longer that we're around and the more that we learn, the more we learn that they're absolutely plausible. Mm -hmm. Even like um, living in the Northwest, we we are here and the and the the geologists they talk about this huge runoff from the melting glaciers coming out of this big lake and flowing through all this area, and there's all the evidence all around us for it. And we're like, yeah, we there was huge runoff, and it was you know, <laughs> the biggest the runoff there's ever been. After the it flood. was after a global flood. And you know, at the end of it all, the oceans actually raised significantly. Interesting. And, and yes, and so we know. Um, again, in this time period, I'm looking at this like twenty five year thousand year ago, and I think there's a twelve thousand year ago number as well. And I may, I I have uh, dyscalculia or dysgraphia. So numbers get twisted in my head a lot. So if you read somewhere and you're like, no, all the stuff he's saying was 25,000 was actually 12,000, go with the 12,000. I'm wrong. Yeah. But, but I think it's 25. Don't quote him on numbers, people. Yeah, not not generally, unless I have them right in front of me and I'm reading them. And, and even then, be dubious. Um, but the point being that the ocean levels were at least 150 feet lower. 
Interesting. Right. And 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 and, and I, that number may be greater. I think it's 150 feet. And than they are right now. So they've raised 150 feet. And so you have Dogger Land, which is a low-lying land mass between like uh, Scotland and Europe that is gone now. There's a shoal there where it kind of, but, the, but there's no land there exposed anymore because the, the ocean level's rising. You have a whole continent that was a low-lying continent um, down near Micronesia. And, uh, and, and that's gone. And that's gone, or yeah, Indonesia actually, and, micro, and, and it's all gone. Uh, but they've discovered just recently this the 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 continent the remnants of civilizations. They think at least like eight hundred to a thousand to nine hundred thousand people live there. Wow! Um, so we see evidence. The story of Atlantis very well could have been of a a Tubal Cain uh, built pre um, uh, pre uh, pre flood uh, pre flood antediluvian. Society. Remember that word, guys? Yeah. So we don't know, but um, but it's interesting to think about. It's fun to think about, and it's fun to realize that we don't know it all. That, I know. Remember what I was going to talk about real quick, and that is, you know, this that there's a book called Eternity in Their Hearts, uh, and it, this just scratches the surface. I've heard some of these stories from other cultures and from missionaries, but cultures all around the world have stories of a great global or a great regional flood. Yes, vast majority of the ancient civilizations actually have stories about. A global flood they have a flood account and so you can think that even from a perspective of somebody who's not a christian how could you not look at that and say okay there's got to be something to this there's something to this either so everybody in the whole earth believed a really big lie you know ten thousand yeah. years ago or there's something to it mm -hmm. so um, we believe there's something, there's something to, to it. it we believe it happened we believe the story is true we believe that Noah, by trusting God and just doing what he told him to do, trusting him for the provision, trusting him despite the, what the culture around him was saying and doing, uh, walked the harder way, walked the way of faith, trusted the Lord for the outcome, and the outcome was good. Mm -hmm. They survived the flood, and we know that he and his wife and his three sons, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and their three wives were fruitful. And, and filled the earth. Filled the earth because they're the progenitors of every single person to have ever lived after that. Now, let me move through your head before we, as we close. Okay. Okay. So, thinking about genetics, only the genes that were uh, in those people, Noah's wife, his three sons, their three wives, so those eight people, Okay. carry on to this day. What genetic potential or genetic com or combinations were present prior to the flood that we no longer have? Oh, that's interesting to think about. Could there have been people who had Northern European features, pitch black skin, and white straight hair? Yeah. With blue eyes. Or, I mean, I was thinking of even about concepts of things like what if there were people who had hair that grew out of their head bright pink or had, you know, freaky colored eyes or people that had, you know, their facial features were completely different than anything we'd seen. There were people who were giants and what if yeah. there were people who were right. like halflings, you know, you know, two and a half, three feet tall. Yeah. We found some evidence historically to support that those may have been around back then. So, you never. so it's really you interesting to think about. Yeah. God knows. And someday we'll know. But we probably won't care because we'll be too busy worshiping Jesus and be too happy to even be worried about any of it. 
<laughs> we, we won't care about the Giants anymore. And that'll be the easier way. Yes. We look forward to that. Okay, guys. Well, for now, stick on the harder way, and we will catch you all next time. We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Us. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Harder Way podcast. If you were encouraged by this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or leaving us a review. To be the first to know when we publish new episodes, subscribe to the Harder Way podcast on your favorite platform. Until next time, remember the words of Christ. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.